0: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.
1: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, March 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, details on the class action lawsuit beginning in federal court today over conditions at a Mississippi prison.
0: It's the only prison in the state of Mississippi who houses the majority of mentally ill inmates. A very vulnerable, sick population that have every mental illness that you can imagine. And those individuals are not being treated constitutionally.
1: Then on Everyday Tech, find out what travel technologies you should pack for your spring break road trip. And we'll hear from experts on how traumatic experiences today may become disease tomorrow. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPD Think Radio. rights groups are headed to trial today against the State Department of Corrections over what they call dangerous prison conditions. The Southern Poverty Law Center, American Civil Liberties Union and Law Offices of Elizabeth Alexander filed a class action suit in 2013 on behalf of the prisoners at the East Mississippi Correctional Facility. The Meridian Facility houses inmates with mental illness and is run by a private prison company on a contract. Jody Owens is managing attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center, Mississippi, office. He describes the issues with the facility to MPB's Desiree Frazier.
0: Well, we think this trial will be a good example for the public, the government, and all who are interested parties to know what is happening inside MDOC. And the evidence that will be presented, both by virtue of reports and data and statistics and videos, is undisputed and supports the claims that are filed in this lawsuit. And we hope that people will continue to stay abreast of what's happening and let's hold MDOC accountable in a way that they've not done so for our mental health population.
2: Tell us, what is at issue at this correctional facility in Meridian, Mississippi?
0: There are seven issues that are at issue. One is access to medical care. Another is access to mental health care. A third one is freedom of solitary confinement. A fourth is reasonable protection from violence. A fifth is access to adequate nutrition. Sixth is access to reasonable sanitary conditions. And last but certainly not least, reasonable protection from unnecessary use of force by staff.
2: What has transpired that brought this to this point?
0: It's many things. Most importantly, is the designation of this prison. It's the only prison in the state of Mississippi who houses a majority of mentally ill inmates a very vulnerable, sick population that have every mental illness that you can imagine. And those individuals are not being treated constitutionally. Most importantly, they're not getting the services to get them better and to make them sustain a mental state where they won't be violent, where they won't be vulnerable to violence against them. They're not being housed in the humane way. It's a very unsanitary prison. Uh, we've constantly seen, you know, roaches and rats in, 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 the, in the kitchen of the facility. Uh, it's a place where sanitation issues like prisoners are forced to be in cells where they have no light, only electric wires. And, again, this is a mentally ill population. So, as you would imagine, these individuals uh, do a lot of self-harm, uh, suffer from depression, bipolar, schizophrenia. We have people who cut themselves routinely, and they afford the opportunity to do so. And we have individuals who are so sick and who are so desperate for medical and mental health care that they set fires inside their cells, hoping that will get someone's attention. They set fires outside their cell, hoping that someone will come check on them as they continue to scream for medical treatment.
2: What got your attention? Have you been called out to the facility?
0: Yes, we learned of this facility from just numerous complaints from inmates and also from staff concerned about people and how they were being treated there. And we first started investigating this facility, you know, in 2011. And we hope to avoid yet another lawsuit against Mississippi Department of Corrections by asking for working with us to make a more constitutional compliant facility. But once again, MDOC has refused to do so. And we hope to resolve this suit at some point in time. But the only way that history has recorded that MDOC will change its ways is through litigation.
2: What are you looking for? The state is in a budget crunch. State agencies have been cut. We have heard uh, the Department of Corrections uh, executive director talk about the need for increasing the salaries of staff. Where do you see this going and what do you think is feasible?
0: We're asking the court to issue an injunction that the facility has to be held to constitutional standards. Now, how the commissioner and Commissioner Hall chooses to spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars budget is something that she has to figure out the best use of the resources. We think that this is a larger issue related to the right people being in prison. You know, Mississippi still is one of the largest incarceration per capital states in the country. We don't think that Mississippians are inherently bad. We don't think Mississippians commit more crimes than other individuals in other states. We have an incarceration problem that we can fix when we decide who we need to incarcerate and why and for how long. Uh, Very recently in this legislative session, uh, I think that the wisdom of the legislature decided to not uh, author and pass a gang bill, which would once again increase the population of Mississippi unnecessarily.
2: The folks that are in this particular facility, have they committed crimes?
0: Everyone in this facility has been convicted of a crime. Uh, it's been our position from the very beginning that several individuals were failed by social services and particularly the mental health system, which is also burdened and in that they needed help. And instead of getting mental health help, they were incarcerated. And oftentimes when we look at what mental illness looks like in our communities, we find that uh, we stigmatize them and treat them with the most aggressive behavior of incarceration when a lot of these individuals were desperately crying out for help, and their underlying offense was a result of their mental illness. What's important to know about our lawsuit is that it's a class-action lawsuit, and it's been certified by Judge Barber. And what that means is that not just individuals who are currently in that facility can be affected by a positive outcome in our case, but all the individuals that will one day be housed in that facility. We owe it to Mississippians, incarcerated or not, to make sure they're treated humanely. And we know, or anybody knows, who has a mentally ill family member or has worked with the mentally ill, it's a specially vulnerable population. And if anyone deserves to make sure they have the services to help them, particularly to come back into society, it's a mentally ill prison.
2: Attorney Owens, thank you so much for explaining this case to us, and we appreciate your time.
0: Thank you so much.
1: In a statement, the Mississippi Department of Corrections says it's not the agency's practice to discuss ongoing litigation. The prison operator, Management and Training Corporation, has said in a statement the facility is safe, clean and well run. The case is proceeding to trial by at 9 a.m. this morning. Coming up on Everyday Tech, find out what travel technologies you should pack for your spring break road trip. And later, we'll hear from experts on how traumatic experiences in childhood can become diseases in adults later in life. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: On the next Deep South Dining, we want to know what's happening in your kitchen. Kevin Farrell and Deborah Hunter are going to be taking your phone calls and answering your emails as we want to find out what is or is not happening in your kitchen. As always, Deborah's going to bring in something delicious for us to talk about, but we want to hear from you and learn what you are cooking. So tune in to the next Deep South Dining today, 9 a.m., only on MPB Think Radio. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast using any podcast app. Just search deep south dining.
3: This is Everyday Tech on the Mississippi edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilkes Couture and Jeremy Thompson. And today we're discussing traveling technology. So guys, with the traveling season upon us, many families will be taken to the road. Let's talk about some ways to make the trip safer and more enjoyable.
4: Well, you know, this is an area that technology really can shine. Technology It's meant to be portable nowadays. Everything we're doing is portable. So you know one of the first things that I'm thinking about whenever I'm taking to the road is, do I have enough battery power? So I'm making sure I have those charger cables and everything because your technology is useless if the batteries run out. But what's really great also is, we've always got a GPS right there in our hands. Uh, So when we start talking about being safer to make sure you can get from point A to point B and all those places in between, especially in areas you may not know that well, the GPS can really help you to make sure you get where you want to go.
5: So the first thing that I do when I travel is actually make sure that I have a lock code on my phone. And uh, I have a Galaxy, which allows me to put like a custom message on there. So if I'm traveling with somebody, I'll put that person's number on there. That way, if my device gets lost, knows how to find its way home. Hey, great idea.
3: Well, what about the Do Not Disturb mode on your phone? Do you turn that on when you're on a long trip?
4: I do. And the reason for that is because... Honestly, I I want what the feature adds, which is not to be disturbed while I'm trying to drive and concentrate on the road. Now, there are a couple of caveats to that. For one, if your phone is linked via Bluetooth to another set of speakers. So if it's linked to your car to where a phone call can come through there, even in the do not disturb mode, it will still ring through to your car. So if you're using that, but what it really is muting is a lot of those alerts and your Facebook pop-ups and app notifications and text messages. So they will not disturb you or cause you to look at your phone while you're driving. If someone did need to urgently contact you, however, they get a message back that says, if this is urgent, reply with the word urgent and it will go through. So it can override it in case of an emergency. Another really nice thing is is for your passengers in the car, if they have that feature turned on. So if my wife's sitting over there As co-pilot, she can actually turn her Do Not Disturb off to where she can still get all of her notifications. It's just mostly affecting the driver.
5: And a feature of that Do Not Disturb mode uh, allows you to let certain contacts ring through. So if you wanted to know when your wife called you or your mom or whatever, you could just set them as one of your preferred contacts that would come through.
3: What are some essential tech tools every family should have on a road trip,
5: so in addition to your uh, jumper cables and your tire gauge, which you should definitely already have, um, you should have some sort of uh, tire inflator and also a jump starter, which can be like a portable battery that you can use to jump your car off without having to have another vehicle to do it. And a lot of those jump starters actually have a car charger included with them, so you, can, if as long as your car is already running, you can charge it while you're on the road. You can also use offline maps on your phone. You can download the map before you visit your location. That way, if you don't have a connection to the Internet, you'll still be able to navigate your way around.
3: Well, as a parent, I truly understand the importance of keeping your children entertained throughout a trip. So how can technology play a part in making that happen?
5: So you want to make sure before you leave home that you get all your books and your audio books downloaded and also uh, your Netflix app supports offline downloading so you can download uh, episodes of your favorite show that you can take with you. Uh, you've also got your portable gaming options like your Nintendo Switch or your tablets, um, which will also uh, allow you uh, quite a versatile gaming library right there in the palm of your hand. And Then, of course, you want to make sure that you got your music queued up as well.
4: Well and you have movies um, also offline. A lot of folks now have cars with DVD players or, or portable DVD players that are out there and with some of the power options that are available you can actually run a lot of of those devices fairly easily in a vehicle that will allow you to defeat the are we there yet monster. So Michelle, whether you're going across town for groceries or you're going across the country for that next big family gathering, technology can really help make the trip more enjoyable a lot safer, and a whole lot more entertaining.
5: And you want to make sure that you remember that traveling is an experience. So be a part of that. Be, be in the moment with your family at times. Make sure to unplug and enjoy the journey.
3: We will talk more about traveling technology on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilkes Couture and Jeremy Thompson... I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition.
4: Mississippi Public Broadcasting is pleased
1: to announce an innovative new way you can support us. Change by Soft Giving allows you to round up your change from everyday purchases and donate it to MPB. Sign up today by visiting mpbonline.org/support. From there, securely link your credit or debit card information to start rounding up your change. Your contributions allow us to continue providing smart, entertaining, and engaging programming to Mississippians. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Some Mississippi children are at risk for illness in adulthood because of what happens in childhood. Research shows adverse childhood experiences increase the long-term risk for smoking, alcoholism, depression, heart and liver diseases, and more illnesses and unhealthy behaviors. Analysts from Johns Hopkins University and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation conducted an analysis using data from the National Survey of Children's Health. They found that at least 38% of children in every state have have had at least one adverse childhood experience, or ACE. The data also shows that 33% of children with two or more ACEs have a chronic health condition involving a special health care need, compared to 13.6% of children who have not had ACEs. Kristen Schubert is Managing Director at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. She tells us the effects of traumatic experiences can be lessened
6: findings are that, um, you know, close to half, uh, about 46% of our kids, 0 to 17, have experienced at least one, you know, traumatic event in their lives. And, you know, as we we go from there, uh, a lot of kids as well have experienced um, more than that, more than just one uh, negative event in their life. And what we know is that now, more than ever, we know that kids who experience traumatic events, um, that can have a really big impact on their health and well-being later on in life.
1: What are some examples of what's considered a traumatic event?
6: Certainly experiencing divorce, especially if that's a very stressful um, divorce. Uh, The death of a parent is another one. Witnessing violence in um, its many different forms, either within their home or in their community is another. Living with someone, um, a parent or a caregiver who is addicted to drugs and alcohol is is another big one.
1: You said that they may develop health problems later in life. Yeah. Does that mean they're okay as children if if they experience a traumatic event, there's always a delayed reaction?
6: No, not necessarily. Um, there are things that uh, we can all do, the, their parents can do, their, their teachers, their you know, therapists can do to help kids deal with what they've witnessed and, uh, and get through it and build resiliency, right? But kids who never deal with what um, happened in their, in their early years could certainly develop um, health problems later on in life. Things like you know, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, um, depression. It's, it's actually really surprising that the number of bad things that kids can experience is, is associated with a greater chance of having those kinds of health problems later. So it's pretty, pretty remarkable.
1: Does that mean that the event itself is suppressed and that messes with the body's immune system?
6: it's what we call a stress response. So imagine a car that is revving, and you hit the gas, and and the revving comes down, right? Um, For kids who experience traumatic events, that that revving of their engine stays at that high pitch, and over time, we know that that wears the body down exactly.
1: Can you talk about Mississippi and the results in this state?
6: Nationally, like I said, we're seeing about 46% of kids, 0 to 17, have one Adverse childhood experience in Mississippi, it's a little bit higher. You guys are looking, looking more like about 53%, but, but near the national average there. About 27% of your kids there um, have had two or more um, adverse experiences. And um, about 35 or so percent of your littlest ones, the kids who are 0 to 5, have already had an adverse childhood experience.
1: It's very sad to hear this, to hear about this data. Is there a way to reverse the trauma or to, to recognize the trauma and help the child through it so that they don't have this life of ill, Ill, Ill health to look forward to?
6: Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the great news. First of all, there, there are treatments and therapies out there to help kids, help families recover from, you know, quite frankly, some stuff that, that's going to happen. I mean, you can't control the death of a family member or or of a parent, unfortunately. And divorce is rampant. I think how you deal with divorce and your children is really key, right? So there's lots we can do.
1: Kristen Schubert is the Managing Director at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Kristen, thank you so much for this information. Thank you so much. Amelia Frank-Meyer is the CEO at Child Welfare Advocacy Organization, Alia. She spoke with MPB's Desiree Fraser while attending a conference in Mississippi. She says trauma can be passed on through genetics.
7: Trauma really changes the brain. And so it, what we're finding is that it changes our very DNA. So each generation subconsciously passes forward the impacts of trauma in their biology and in the way in which they behave or their environment. When you talk about trauma, what are we talking about? I'm really focused here on talking about childhood trauma, which is typically things when a child does not feel safe, lovable, or as though they can trust someone to meet their needs. So trauma ends up being an event, a series of events that happen that make a child feel as though their very life is at risk, that they are at risk of dying or being killed. So an example of childhood trauma is the caregivers on whom you rely to keep you safe and protect you from external threats become the threat. And so it might be that uh, children experience abuse or neglect. Um, It might be having a parent who was not able to keep them safe because of their own challenges with drugs or alcohol, because of their own mental health challenges. It might be growing up in a home with domestic violence. It could be any number of things.
2: And you talked about the traditional
7: ways that those issues are treated. Can you explain a little bit? We talk about the old toolbox, which is really the current toolbox in most places, which relies on blaming, shaming, punishing, and disconnecting children for the normal natural responses to what happened to them. And so often children will get labeled and diagnosed. They will be on multiple medications to numb the impact of the normal natural responses to what happened to them, or they might get sent away to a different place, you know, it might start just sent away in timeout, then sent away to a residential treatment or sent away to another family in a foster home. But it's that shaming, blaming, disconnecting, and punishing.
2: So if you don't send them away and the people that are responsible for their care aren't equipped
7: to handle it, isn't that problematic? Yeah, so there's a difference between having to remove a child from an environment because their very safety is at risk and removing a child from an environment because they experience normal natural responses to something that happened to them, say, in a foster home. And then the foster parents would say, you know, get this kid out of You've got to move this kid. And so one of it is a response to their normal natural responses, which feels more like a punishment. And the other is a way of keeping them safe. So even sometimes kids who have severe behaviors need to go to a place where they can be kept safe. But instead of saying, you know, you're going to get out of here, get away from me, we say, you know, you're going to have to go here, and what we're doing is staying connected, and and I'm going to send you with a picture of me and you and my pillowcase that smells like me, and I'm going to call you every day at 5 o'clock, and every Saturday I'm putting a letter in the mail, and I'm coming every family visit day, and I love you and adore you, and, you know, we're going to work on helping you to find ways to so that you can stay safe and i'm going to work on ways i can keep you safe that's very different than sending a child away to a place that they become disconnected or they feel like it's their fault that they're there instead of a place to help
2: and then you also mentioned that trauma presents in the body like what happens to you as a child you get sick later in life yes
7: when you experience childhood trauma, you get flooded with hormones and chemicals that are meant to invoke the fight-flight-freeze flight, response. So so these stress chemicals flood your body, your brain changes, and they're meant to be only for short periods of time and only when you're in danger. You know, cheetahs don't run at 60 miles an hour for five days straight, right? They run until the threat's gone and then they're over. But what happens is our kids get stuck in the on position, and so they are constantly flooded, constantly activated, and that m- amount of chemical flooding and that amount of chronic toxic stress that's only meant to be short time till the danger resolves for our kids the danger never resolves because they're vulnerable and they're often stuck in the environment where they're constantly at threat and so it just takes a toll on the human body it takes a toll on the organs it it takes a toll and and we store that trauma in our body in addition to you know the kinds of things that happen that require other interventions to not only purge it from the body but the ways in, in which it comes forward in our behaviors. We, the choices and decisions and, and the actions we take as a result of the ways the brain was changed. This is an automatic subconscious response. The brain and the body are just trying to protect themselves, just trying to feel better, just trying to survive, and sometimes it happens in maladaptive ways.
1: Amelia Frank-Meyer with our Desiree Frazier. The national and state data, along with an issue brief and maps, can be found at CAHMI.org. Coming up at 9 o'clock, Deep South Dining at 10 now you're talking, 11 o'clock. Stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit, and listen tomorrow at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition.
0: Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.